Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining us on tonight's program. I catch up with Michael Lane, the founder of Medallion Financial, and I look at what he's expecting from the market this year. I ask him about when he thinks tech stocks might rebound. Are there any tech stocks right now that we should be buying? And also what other companies really look good value at this point in time. Michael's been a pretty good predictor in the past, and so it'd be interesting to see what he likes right now. Then we go to Marcus Bogdan of Blackmore Capital, who also manages the Switzer Dividend Growth Fund. So he's a specialist in looking for companies that pay really good dividends. He was quite excited about the performance of Macquarie, CBA, NAB, and of course CBA. Um, that is, these, are, these companies are all reported pretty well, and it's good for his fund. But he also looks at, you know, can they keep on going? Can the share price and the dividends keep on rising? That's an interesting interview. And earlier in the week, I caught up with Ying Yi and Chen of Coolabar Capital. Now she works with Chris Joy, and of course Chris is out there with his 30 to 60% fall in the stock market. She's a, bit, a woman who concentrates on interest rates, and so her views on where interest rates are gonna go in the US and Australia is quite insightful, something really worth having a listen to. That's the show, let's kick off now with Michael Wayne of Medallion Financial. Well, the market has been up and down since uh, January 1, uh, a lot of volatility, and I'm interested to see how Michael Wayne, the founder of Medallion Financial, is seeing this market now and what he expects and hopes for for the rest of 2022. Michael, great to see you. Good to be back for 2022. Yeah, so um, you've been on your honeymoon and uh, there's been a bit of instability in the market. <laughs> did, it, did it sort of rock the honeymoon a little uh, bit? It did a little bit. It adds a, an element of stress, but that's life. Um, mm. Normally January is a pretty good time to get away. It's normally yeah. quite quiet, but this year, I think it was the worst start to a year ever um, mm. there at one point, but mm. it seems to have stabilised a little bit at the moment, so mm. we'll have to wait and see where we go from here. Yeah, it's kind of a crazy market situation, isn't it? That a lot of that sell-off you're talking about was tech stock related. Yeah. Of course, related to rising interest rate fears. But over the last um, week, uh, tech stocks are back in favour, <laughs> despite the fact there was a, a massive jobs number in the US, which kind of implies, yeah, interest rates will rise fairly quickly. That's right. And we've seen the 10-year Treasury in Australia, you know, jump up quite rapidly as well in the last couple of days, yet markets have been moving higher, but it's a, I think it's just symptomatic of where we're at at the moment. It's a very challenging market. Mm. I think the volatility is going to be a sign of things to come because it's very difficult to predict these economic indicators, whether it's inflation or interest rates. They move around a lot, um, and as expectations shift, the markets will probably shift with it. Mm. Um, so it's going to be very challenging, particularly for some of those high-growth investors um, who have to have guts of steel, I think, at the moment. Yeah. But I guess when you think about it, if, if you've been a growth investor who, who got in early and you just basically rode them up, even with these big pullbacks, you still could be ahead. And, but a lot of people are looking at these big pullbacks and saying, well, is this a buying opportunity for one, two or three years' time? Look, I think there certainly will be examples of that. Um, we had a, a, quite a big growth focus leading into the beginning of last year, and I think with discussions with you and, and others, we moved to a more neutral buy, uh, yeah. um, setup whereby you have... A, From gutsy you know, to gutless. Well, no, you, have, you, know, you still have to have exposure, I think, to growth because these are very good names and yeah. they're delivering very good revenue growth and earnings growth. But 
you know, the thing is companies can still deliver those revenue and earnings growth, but still have the share price fall mm. as the market re-rates some of these very lofty PEs. Yeah. So I think you want to have a balance in your portfolio of some growth names and some value, because yeah. you really don't know um, what's going to come out on top. There were times last year where growth was dominating value and vice versa, and I think it'll be the case again probably this year. Yeah. I know at the end of last year when I was kind of expecting volatility and that the tech stocks probably would cop it as interest rates go up. Um, the pundits were telling me from my reading that uh, financials, um, iron ore producers and um, financials and energy were, were going to be the areas that are going to be successful. It seems yeah. like that's what's going to be successful for a while. Yes, yeah, certainly um, at the moment that's been the area that's held up by far the best. I mean mm -hmm. if you look at the NASDAQ I think it's you know, more than half the companies are down you know, 30, 40, 50%. Mm. So despite what it might look like at an index level, there's a lot going on below the surface and mm. a lot of companies are seeing uh, a lot of pain. Mm. Um, but I don't think you can completely discount the growth names entirely. Um, there will be quality ones. You know, Xero's taken a big pullback recently, for instance, and mm. you would think that's a company that's quality long-term. So yeah. those that have been looking for opportunities to jump into some of these names, pullbacks of this magnitude are often that opportunity because at the moment everything really in that space has come under pressure indiscriminately mm. um, and yeah, I think you try and take advantage of those situations when it occurs. Yeah, uh, I always make the point that the bigger short-term players really drive the market and if you're a short-term player you kind of think it's going to take some time for tech stocks yeah. to rebound. But for the long-term investor, it probably is a buying opportunity for some of them. And Zero is a yeah. classic case because it's a quality company. It's, it's make, it does make profits. Yes. Um, it is growing. Um, and some of the other ones are a little bit more blue sky and, and they probably won't come back for a long time. Or they might even yeah. come back. I think that's what we've seen. Some of those companies trading on 80, 90, 100 times revenue. This is not even earnings, this yeah. is just revenue. Yeah. And the businesses where earnings is really a pie in the sky somewhere down the track, three, four, five years, they're the ones that you have to be really careful of because mm. you've seen the likes of, you know, bet makers, points bet, those sorts of companies, Afterpay, Zip, these were trading on really significant multiples of revenue mm. and they've come back a long, long way and could really come back even further because I think in these sorts of markets, investors are looking for, for quality, um, they're looking for a bit more certainty, mm. and those companies that have a good runway to earnings growth, potentially some dividends kicking in at some stage, mm. are able to maintain their margins, mm. continue to grow revenue. They're the ones that investors are gonna move into first before they start looking at the others yeah. that have really- And the thing is, is they, uh, like zero for example, looks like good value, but once people pile in, it probably become poor value again and <laughs> you say, you're making the point that the likes of Zip like an afterpay, they're still good companies but they're just overvalued weren't they? Yeah. And so do you think they're in the fullness of time, let's just say, let's put a two year profile on this because a lot of our viewers aren't short term investors, they'd like to make the money yeah. short term but in, they know they're down there. A company like Zip and an afterpay of course is linked to Square yeah, and I right. think Square is of course, of course called Block. I think that's a good company. Uh, it seems to be leveraged to all the, the small businesses out there that um, you know, use their, their services right. and their, their, they call them their machines and whatever. Do, do you think that the, the prices we're seeing for these indicate that over, over time they'll eventually 
improved. Not necessarily get back to where they yeah. were, but they'll certainly improve from where they are. I think it's most likely on a two-year basis. Mm. That's probably the likely scenario. But again, at the moment, it's it's just very difficult to pick because at the moment the market is assuming an orderly retracement in inflation mm. and off the back of that interest rates will gravitate higher but again in a moderate orderly fashion. Mm. That's probably the most likely scenario but then there is an increasing probability that that isn't the case where inflation does persistently remain very very high mm. and then the central banks are forced to play catch up and that would set the bond market off pretty negatively because mm. at the moment the market's pricing in sort of four or five interest rate rises, which is in the US, in the US mm. which is orderly and which is bearable. But mm. if that turns out to be wrong and you're forced to increase rates, you know, 10 times mm. from where we are at the moment, in that scenario, then I think these tech stocks could really struggle. So yeah. you need to contemplate. Then you want their three or four year profile. That's right, that. that's yeah. right. So you've got to contemplate the increased probability of that scenario playing out. And I think you've got to adjust your portfolios slightly. Um, so where you might have had, you know, a big exposure to some of these high flying names a couple of years ago or 12 months ago, I think now you still want to have exposure to them, but probably slightly less as a percentage yeah. of your portfolio. Well, it's interesting because you know, a lot of people have found that their satellite investments, those ones that went searching for alpha, those tech yeah. stocks, probably actually help their overall returns and the more boring core type stocks yeah. weren't really delivering much at all apart from steady gains. What we're seeing is flipped around now, you know, um, the, the banks clearly have done well. That's right. Uh, BHP's gone, what, from 34, 35 up to 48 or That's whatever. Right. So they're, they're, they're doing the heavy lifting on your portfolio and I guess it's a very good argument for diversification. 100%. I mean, we're one of the companies that benefited a lot from that, that growth sector, not only the tech names, but healthcare. Yeah. You know, you had well, I actually thought you were quite smart. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it, look, it's, it's come under a bit of pressure recently, but we've been able to rebalance over the last 12 months, mm. introduce a lot more boring type businesses, if you like, um, even the banks, yeah. for instance, we had in the portfolios there for a while. Um, and I think you've just got to have that, that balance now because it's a very challenging environment and the thematics aren't as clear as they were um, at, at different stages over the last five years. Okay, let's talk about, while we're on tech, are there any tech stocks, you, you mentioned zero, yeah. are there any other tech stocks you are you know, you know, keeping your portfolio, maybe even adding yeah. to because the prices are low? Well, one of them um, I've touched upon before is Ordinate. I, I was going <laughs> to ask you about Ordinate because it's been one of your favourite yeah. And you always argue it's a reopening reopening. Well. They've been hindered a lot by the supply chain issues. Mm. They have been able to access some of the the, the chips and, and those sorts of things. Um, they did initially run up from seven to ten and now back at eight. Um, but along the way they've had very good updates. It's just that they're sort of struggled by capacity constraints at the moment. Mm. Um, but we would expect that over time those would ease up. It's not a problem that they haven't got the demand. Demand is there waiting to be serviced. It's just that they're struggling to meet yeah to meet that. Uh, they've got a series of new products being launched, or mainly in, they've historically been in the audio digital space and now also moving into the, the visual hmm. uh, digital space, which is another enormous market for them. But they're growing significantly faster than the nearest competitor. Um, and as people get back out to concerts and sporting events, those sorts of things, Ordinate should be a, a beneficiary of that. And that's just a high quality tech name that we like. Hmm. Okay, any other tech names before we move on to um, other ones? 
some tech, uh, some healthcare, I oh, suppose. Hang on. Yesterday, yeah. Megaport reported. Yes, that was a Megaport. company that you've liked in the past. Yes. How, what was that report like? That was a, a very good report. They've obviously been... I, I figured they would have a good report, but the market didn't yeah. anticipate it, did they? Well, I think it was up about 2% or so, but they're growing 10 times the rate the nearest competitor at mm. the moment. Yeah. Um, they've just released a, a new sort of product um, with with Cisco and a couple of others mm. as well. So they're well entrenched as a market leader in that space. Their numbers have been very, very good. Mm. Are they making a profit? Uh, not yet. No. Not yet, but they're expecting so they're to. That sort of they're speculative tech class. Well, they're expecting it? to move into profit in the next six months. That's, that's what they sign. said yesterday. Okay. So that's a company that a couple of years ago, profit was on the never, never. Mm. But they've actually delivered on what they said. They've made progression towards being a highly profitable company, not only one that's growing the top line very quickly, yeah. So that's one that we would be confident to look at, certainly on a pullback. But you look at Megaport over the last three, four years, it moves around sometimes a lot. Mm. And history suggested that those significant pullbacks are a great opportunity to jump in because it is a very good quality, uh, interesting tech company. Okay. So let's move out of tech now, uh, where you, know, you, you didn't make your name with me. Um, <laughs> what are you liking that's unusual for you to like? Yeah, so we've had energy in the in the portfolio for the last 12 months, and they've been up and down a bit. Initially, we had Oil Search and Santos. That merge has now gone through. We've mm. got Santos. We still think that the energy companies have some legs. Because yeah. the thing with energy is when everything else was recovering from the initial COVID shock, energy was the one part of the market that continued to lag. Yeah. And there's an element of catch-up going on now, considering the oil price has done so well. But now the oil price is around $100 a barrel, um, well, not quite $100. It's about, what, I think, 85 or something yeah. now. The, the, the call is it could The call is it could go up yeah. to 100 And if that's the case, then these energy companies should do very, very well because effectively they're trading on the same prices today as they were when the oil price was at $50 a barrel. Mm. So that's one we think is an interesting area that we normally wouldn't go near. Mm. Uh, there's a, a mining services type smaller company that we quite like um, called XRF Scientific. Effectively, what they do is they take the core samples from all the mining companies that do their drilling. They basically test those samples to determine the quality of that sample. Um, so that's a business that not only sells the machines, they then sell the chemicals used to do the testing. And we think that the commodity space is in a pretty good spot at the moment and there's a lot of, of activity going on. So that's Have a mining services companies not done as well as the first... A few years ago, yeah. every, every time on my old Sky Business TV program, Monodelphus got mentioned yeah. like all the time. Forge, Monodelphus, yeah. Wally Parsons, right. all those. So Mining Boom Mine, all these companies did well. The, the, this latest leg of, a, of the mining boom, there was, there was kind of less um, capital spending, wasn't it? And therefore, yeah. the mining services companies didn't do all that well. Are you thinking there's a, a year or two where mining services companies might start doing well? Um, not so much mining services. XRF sort of sits in that mining services bracket, but it's almost the tech slash mining services okay. company. Right. Um, mining services companies look very cheap on traditional multiples, mm. but I think people still have quite recent memories of some of these companies going belly up. You know, mm. Forge bought Long here, I think was another one because they were doing so well when the mining boom was going on. But then what people realized when the times were tough, they were the first people to get squeezed and yeah. their margins would get hammered and the contracts would dry up and in some cases put themselves on the brink of, of bankruptcy. So that's still, I think, fresh in people's yeah. minds. Okay. Um, so you've got to be careful, I think, okay. in that space. What, what about financials? Are, are they still 
Do you think they've still got upside? If so, which ones do you like? Well, we had the bank. We had sort of Westpac, ANZ, um, and NAB a little bit of as well. Yeah. We've actually trimmed a lot of the bank exposures after that big recovery mm. in the, um, after COVID because we are a little bit concerned about rates going up, what happens to the housing market, credit growth is going to struggle a little bit in those conditions. Um, you see lots of competition going on in, in mortgages at the moment. There's a lot of people moving to fixed rate mortgages to try and you know, lock in the low rates now before mm. rates go up and that's a lower margin product. So we're, we just think the banks are gonna struggle to deliver any significant revenue growth. Return on equity is not gonna necessarily jump up. But I think the banks will hold up okay. The yields are recovering. Um, but I don't see much excitement there, but okay. it could be a good defensive, safe area to, to park some what cash. What healthcare? Yeah, healthcare we still like. It's you know, had a tough couple of months along mm. with the tech sector because healthcare's- A growth company. Growth yeah. areas, mm. and also the multiples on healthcare companies have just gone up and up and up over the last five years or so. So again, when you get this re-rating because of potentially higher yields, healthcare companies have borne the brunt of that. But I think in the pullbacks in CSL, Fisher and Pike or ResMed's held up quite well. They're the sort of three high quality ones that we hold in portfolios and we mm. still like. Mm. Something like a CSL we're happy to look at even in, after this significant pullback, but I've said that for 12 months, at $2.70, $2.75, it's now $2.50, so yeah. we still like some people, it. Some people remember yeah. you, those mistakes, Michael. <laughs> What about telcos? Like, yeah. I'm, I get surprised, like Aussie Broadband keeps on doing well. Yeah. And, um, yeah, a lot of sort of small telcos have done well just sort of doing the stuff that the bigger telcos can't yeah. do all that well. What, what do you think of a company like that? I mean, we haven't really had much telco in the portfolios in recent times. Going back a few years when there was all the consolidation going on with TPG, mm. M2 Communications, IINet, all those got basically merged together. Mm. Um, and there was a lot of growth at that point in time. But now a lot of those businesses in those older products have become a bit more mature. That's the older products being, you know, landlines, obviously for Telstra, mobiles and mm. internet. There was a race to the bottom margins compressed, but broadband has been a, a very interesting one. Um, Chorus is an interesting one. It's a New Zealand company listed on the ASX. That's mm. one that we have had. So that's the one telco that we've had. And that basically is rolling out the broadband network in New Zealand. Mm. Um, and they've done a very good job of doing that. Dividends you still are kicked hold them in. in we still hold them. Mm. Um, it hasn't been as good as of late, but over a sort of a two, three year period, it's been a very good performer. That's probably one that's maturing a bit now as that rollout has played out, yeah. but it's one we still don't mind. Okay, so let's imagine a, a really close relative or friend says, come on, Michael, just give us one really <laughs> good stock for this year. Which yeah. one would you, you know, come down Oof. to? For this year, I'm gonna go with, I'm gonna go with Aristocrat. Right. I, and we still like Aristocrat, it's held up relatively well. Mm. Um, we think that they're doing a lot of good stuff out, aside from the poker machines. They're moving into the online social gaming area. Uh, which in the, Social gaming? Well, it's not. Is that nice guy betting, well, it's, is it? Well, it's not for money. So okay, it's just okay. more traditional games that people play. And okay. it's really, really large. How do, they, how do they monetize something like that? Do people well, pay to play? People to play, people pay to play or, or download so like, the like app buying, on their phone. It's like buying a, a, a Monopoly box. Well, so, essentially, so think, yeah. or download something or whatever it and may be. do they pay be. per play or do they subscribe some for of them, different. There's many different games, yeah. but some of them are like that. They also, I think, are slowly moving into casino online, but it's that was their recent mm. uh, attempted at acquisition. But 
the thing is the online social gaming market in the US is very, very large and mm. Aristocrats been growing their market share quite considerably. Yeah. And we expect that to continue to play out. Um, and it's a business that doesn't trade on the ultra lofty multiples of many tech businesses, but they're delivering you know, well and truly double digit revenue and earnings growth. So we quite like that as a, a business. Mm, okay, well that's Aristocrat Leisure. Yeah. yeah, okay mate, great to see you. Good to be back. Thanks for having me. And the next time we see you, let's hope we can say, what a great range of tips you gave us. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> it's Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial. Well, it's reporting season and Marcus Bogdan, who is the fund manager of the Switzer Dividend Growth Fund, uh, has four stocks he wants to look at that have reported recently and they've all done pretty well. It probably explains why the unit price of Swiss Dividend Growth Fund has gone up. Marcus, good to see you, mate. Good morning, Peter. All right, so tell us about, um, let's go through them now. The big one, of course, was CBA, uh, which I, I guess you have a fairly significant holding of that in the, mm -hmm. uh, the fund. How good was that report? The market liked it. Well, all of the reports uh, were better than expectations, uh, which was incredibly pleasing. But you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, CBA is really the bellwether for the Australian market. Historically, it's always traded at a premium to the other three banks. Uh, and the result was a justification, I think, of that premium. Uh, it is Australia's largest bank, but it delivered above system growth for mortgages, business lending and deposit growth. Uh, so it was an extraordinary performance by them from a volume perspective. Now, net interest margins are still under pressure and they did decline and we expect further declines in the second half of this year. But the underlying volumes, and I think this is illustrative of how strong the economy is, uh, is that you're still seeing strong mortgage growth a recovery in business lending yeah. uh, and household deposits still being incredibly robust. And that's on the backdrop also of uh, the banks being in a very strong capital position uh, and CBA have brought forward uh, a $2 billion buyback, which they're uh, now initiating. Uh, we expect, given this strength in their capital position, that further buybacks uh, will be appropriate in in the in the future period so yeah. strong result by C cba uh underpinned by a dividend yield of around four percent fully franked uh and, ju and justification of the of the premium that cba trades to the other to the other banks yeah so is that five billion dollars worth of dividends between the interim dividend and the the buyback you know, which is good news for a fund like yours. Let's go to Suncorp now, because that was a, a one earlier and earlier uh, in the reporting season, but it was a real good one as well, wasn't it? It is, and uh, Suncorp is a mixture of both uh, a general insurer and a bank. 
and both vo both volume and margins were better than ex expected uh, and they're on a, on a pathway of recovery uh, they still need to do more on the cost side but they are definitely leading uh, on the insurance and the and and the reiteration of the insurance margin was pleasing and again they also provide investors with a very attractive dividend yield of around five percent fully franked yeah, let's roll on to Macquarie, which is, you know, has been an unbelievable uh, achieving bank. I guess from your point of view, its dividend is not as strong as other ones, but its growth is unbelievable, isn't it? Yes, and I, I think importantly, the medium and to longer term prospects of Macquarie look particularly encouraging because uh, they have pivoted towards uh, financing green energy. Uh, and this is one of the, the true uh, growth themes in yeah. the next couple of decades. Uh, and they were early movies on this. They bought a, a, a bank in the UK called the Green Investment Bank, uh, which is one of the largest providers of capital uh, and, and finance to green energy. Uh, and, and they are incredibly well positioned. Uh, we've had various international agencies suggesting that you know the um, green energy will will be increasing quadrupling in size over the next couple of decades uh, and i think macquarie will continue to be a beneficiary of that the result was incredibly pleasing it was a record quarter for the bank uh, it's benefiting from strong underlying markets uh, and you're right the dividend yield is around three percent but I think that will be accompanied by, uh, you know, long-term uh, underlying growth, which will drive those dividends higher into the future. Yeah, and it, it might be a small percentage, but it's still lots of dollars. Yeah, in, indeed, and and importantly, it's a, it's the a direction of travel, um, which is so important in the companies that we look at. We want to be invested in companies that are growing their earnings because that then translates into them growing their dividends over time as well. Okay, the final one is one of your beloved Melbourne institutions, namely NAB, and I don't know, Paul Ricard's been you know calling it the bank that he thought had the, the most likelihood of improving in, in the, the near term, and it's done pretty well. It has. Um, they reported this morning, and like CBA, they delivered a result which was above market expectations uh, and really illustrated um, you know, strong volume growth uh, and, also, and also market share gains. Uh, they're Australia's uh, largest business bank uh, and they provide a dividend of 5% fully franked mm. with a very strong capital position, sustainable payout ratio and we believe that that, that dividend will also improve into uh, 2023. Okay, people watching this you know, who might not be invested in the, in the fund, they really want to get value out of this from the point of view is, are these companies still worth buying? Do you think over the course of 2022, the CBA share price will creep back into the hundreds and NAB will you know, get itself into the 30s. Do you, uh, do you think that's a likely to happen over the course of this year? 
Well, I think um, the banks uh, will be underpinned uh, by uh, further illustration of earnings growth. Uh, credit quality, importantly, is, is remains remains benign, better than expected. Uh, and I think investors will continue to be hungry for sustainable dividends, especially for those companies that can deliver dividend yields of four or five or five percent. Uh, and importantly, we believe that they are sustainable by both CBA and NAB. And so that dividend yield will be a much greater component of your overall return. Yeah, I, I noticed you avoided the, the prediction on price, but I, I, thought, I took that as being yes. Yeah, well, we've just added to, to NAB in, in, in the fund. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, we're, we're positively disposed towards them. Okay, mate, fantastic. One last thing. When you talk about that, I, I did like Matt Collins' commentary, which basically said the bank sees two strong years, 22, 23. Um, house prices rise in the first, 4 to 7%. They fall in the second. But the fact that you, you're talking two strong years of growth, it's got to translate into better company profits and better share prices. That's not too long a bow to pull, is it? No, it's not. I mean, uh, we're still expecting to see that growth. And importantly, the capital positions of the banks are very, very sound. And the payout ratios are now far more sustainable, around 70%. So giving you the confidence um, around the delivery of those dividends um, over the next couple of years. Okay, mate. Good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Cheers. That's Marcus Bogdan of uh, the Switzer Dividend Growth Fund and Blackmore Capital. Well, with all this talk about rising and very high inflation rates and the expectation that interest rates are on the rise, definitely in the US and probably in Australia in 2022, it's time to talk to our expert when it comes to interest rates, Yingyi and Cheng of Coolabar Capital. Great to see you, Yingyi, in 2022. Great to see you too, Peter. Happy New Year. Yeah, well, it will be a happy new year for me if the Reserve Bank doesn't necessarily raise interest rates too early and too quickly. But what is the, uh, the view from Coolabar Capital? Yeah, like, I mean, look, it, it depends on the relative sort of central banks at the moment. I mean, firstly, look, the, the Fed's been the most hawkish of them all. Um, but obviously, we've seen very, very hawkish rhetoric out of the Bank of Canada, out of New Zealand, out of the Bank of England. Um, and more recently, the ECB as well. It does look like the RBA is definitely more on the, the back step. They definitely sound a bit more sort of dovish than, um, say, the Fed, for example. Um, but obviously, everyone's gone, gone to Fed watching right now. Yeah. But when you say that the US seems to be ahead on the economic cycle, the economic growth rebound compared to us? Yeah, so look, I mean, we've seen core inflation in the US, you know, not just, you know, surpass that sort of, you know, two to three percent sort of ban or two and a half percent sort of target. It's really, you know, gone beyond that. So, you know, we've seen the highest inflation that we've seen since probably the 1990s, yeah. um, the early 1990s, in fact. So we've had, you know, core inflation at around 4.7 percent. Um, core CPI has been above five percent, more like five and a half percent. Um, 
um, the, the Fed's preferred measure is uh, what is known as PCE, personal consumption expenditure, and that is at 4.7%. So it's way above that sort of 2% sort of level. Um, whereas in Australia, we've had some obviously, you know, quite a hawkish uh, inflation prints, but, you know, judging from the RBA's rhetoric more recently from their most recent meeting where they decided that they would stop, you know, quantitative easing, they did say that they would like to see inflation consistently, you know, um, be printing at that point. Um, and, you know, I think they would probably lean more towards inflation overshooting than, you know, trying to, um, you know, hike rates too soon, too quickly. Yeah. So the, uh, Kildare Capital um, ha have the personnel to, to track some really interesting things. So, you know, obviously you track all the important indicators for the money markets, the bond markets and whatever. That's, that's your beat. But we, we saw with the coronavirus, <coughs> you were tracking the, the course of the virus, when it might peak and all those sorts of things. Are you trying to track something which I think is critically important? That is uh, the costs associated with the supply chain problems. Or is that too difficult to track? Um, look, I mean, I think on the one, it's not, you know, obviously the supply chain sort of um, issues is definitely being front and sort of centre. Mm. Um, to be honest, like, you know, it's it's been an issue that we've been tracking, but we haven't been tracking on, you know, a, a quantitative basis to the same extent yeah. that we've been doing when, you know, we did the, the modelling around herd immunity, mm. the modelling around the probabilities of war, for example, mm. between, you know, um, different country states. Um, and then obviously, you know, around, you know, COVID infection um you know and vaccination sort of yeah. modeling either so yeah that's not something that we've been modeling internally um if anything you know what the data sort of suggests and obviously you know we, we need to sort of look into this but you know what the data does suggest is that you know and the feds said this themselves that you know the sole supply chain issues um are you know not just are obviously transitory they need to take time to work through the system but what we're dealing with at the moment in terms of price pressures is not transitory yeah. um and if anything you know I, I think future sort of trend wise would argue more in favor of you know price pressures um on the inflationary side because you know you have on the one hand a lot of uh you know developed nations that realize that they need to diversify their supply chains away from china um, and so that will put pressure on prices, you know, in an upwards fashion. Mm -hmm. Secondly, the whole sort of, um, you know, decarbonisation um, of supply chains as well, moving to more ESG friendly, um, more solar power. Obviously, initially, that's going to, you know, lead to higher costs just as we move away from, you know, a lot of the, the more intensive sort of fossil fuels. Um, I mean, obviously, eventually, you know, there will be a, a lower cost to much more environmentally friendly sort of sources of power. But again, you know, the initial sort of um, inertia in doing so will put upwards pressure on prices again okay. as well. Okay. Um, so is the belief then that the inflation is not purely cost driven, it's also excess demand? There is, there is demand. Yeah, look, I think there's 
a lot of pent up demand for services as well, because obviously when we were all in lockdown, there was a lot of demand for goods. We couldn't get out um, and demand services. Now, as economies have reopened, a lot of that demand has shifted more towards services as well. Yeah. So obviously that's not, you know, as much of a supply chain issue as it is, you know, say with goods. Yeah, I can't wait to get more massages. You know, just, they were really missing out. <laughs> or more haircuts for yeah, free yeah. yeah, which I'm getting tomorrow, by the way. And now look, <laughs> yeah, the, the, so, so what you're arguing then is those who want to believe this inflation is temporary, let's say dissipating within six months, that looks less likely because of the reasons you just advanced. Well, yeah, I mean, look, um, it, it's it's not temporary because we're seeing it in wages as well. There's wage inflation. Um, and so we're seeing price inflation. We're seeing, um, you know, wage inflation as well. And what that has the impact of doing and what central banks are most concerned about or they should be most concerned about is inflation expectations. Mm. So as wages move higher, as prices move higher, that's okay so long as, you know, our inflation expectations are tempered. But inflation expectations, you know, whether you slice and dice it looking at different surveys, whether it's the Michigan survey in the US or the Fed's, like the New York Fed survey, um, again, they point to quite high numbers. And that's the concern. Yeah. Um, when you have high inflation expectations, you're going to demand higher wages to compensate for that mm. if you expect prices to increase in the future. Um, so what you do end up getting, and th that is the concern of the central banks, is that you end up potentially getting this wage price spiral. Okay. Which, you know, potentially as the, the, you know, it could get out of control if central banks don't nip it in the bud. Okay. So I'm now, now what I'm going to do with you, Ying Yi, I'm going to take you back through a time tunnel to the 1980s. Uh, 1980s, I was lecturing economics at the University of New South Wales. And then there was a big debate about what well, is this inflation? Is it cost push inflation or is it demand pull? Well, a lot of this inflation, I reckon at the moment, is cost push. And it was a big argument, like, how do you get rid of cost push inflation by raising costs, namely interest rates? So, you know, that's, that's an interesting argument, isn't it? That, that in a sense, all you're gonna do is, is crush the demand component of inflation by raising interest rates. What do you say to, say to that time tunnel argument? Um, look, I, I can't disagree with you. I, I think, yeah, part of it is is cost push. Um, and in that respect, you know, it, it has sort of translated itself into, yeah, we're seeing it in higher costs in terms of components. Mm. Um, obviously, initially, a lot of that has been, you know, supply chain sort of driven. Um, but the economy is doing well and the economy is doing well because there's been all this stimulus, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, for since the since March 2020, um, you know, both the, the government at a fiscal level and central banks have been injecting a ton of stimulus via fiscal measures, by quantitative easing. That's not to influence the supply side, it's to influence the demand side. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, all this, you know, demand, all this, you know, cash on the sidelines has, you know, re you know, pushed itself into obviously asset markets and whatnot. There's a general feeling of, you know, more sort of wealth. I mean, obviously you could say that, you know, households are still sitting on quite a bit of cash as well. Um, you know, if they're hoarding, you know, stimulus checks that they may have received, but yeah, I think it's both measures really. Okay. There's obviously quite a lot of demand. Okay, I'll give you a distinction as an answer, a good answer. Right. <laughs> now, one, one last one. Let's talk about what the US might do. What is Coolabar predicting in relation to interest rates over the next year? How many rate rises? Yeah, re really interesting question. I mean, now we probably sound more in line with market because we had been sort of expecting five to seven hikes um, for, for the course of this year. Um, but, you know, that was our view late last year when there were only three rate hikes priced in for the US, um, you know, for the FOMC. So, um, yeah, we, we were definitely more on the hawkish side last year. And that's because, you know, we see... You know, the, obviously, if you think that the the neutral Fed cash rate is at two and a half percent, they're currently at zero. Mm. They've got a long way to run, um, and hence that we, we thought you know five to seven hikes this year when the market was only expecting three. Obviously, we had you know the the U.S. labor numbers. Um, and then that moved the market to four. And then obviously after the January FOMC meeting, uh, we, we saw the market move start quickly start to moving, you know, to five. And obviously we we have some banks looking for seven as well. But we, we think between five to seven. Okay, right, yeah. And and one last thing, if the Fed moves too quickly on interest rates, do you think it will have a negative impact on the stock market? Yeah, I, I think so. Definitely. Um, you know, that there's definitely a bit of a, a wealth effect um, that happens um, from, you know, the, the stock market. But you've got to remember, like, the reason why, you know, stock markets or, you know, broader risk asset markets have rallied so much is because the, the Fed and other central banks were, were cutting rates. They were pumping money in the, in the form of quantitative easing. That easy money is gone. And so if you consider the fact that they're just going to unwind a lot of the stimulus that they brought forward, then you, you definitely expect the same sort of retracement. Ying Yi and Cheng, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Peter. And that's the show for this week. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget, if you want more information about stocks that are worthwhile considering, sign up for the Switzer Report. Go to switzerreport.com.au. Once again, thanks for joining us. See you on Monday night.